verses 23 to 30 sets a bit of the background work for our text, which will be verses uh, 31 to 34, talking about the new covenant that the Lord will establish with his people. Jeremiah 31, verses 23 to 30. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah is given this this vision of the Lord, this word from the Lord, and he passes this on to the people of God. Specifically, the people of God in Judah, as up to this point in time, they have uh, just recently been taken into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities, when I restore their fortunes. The Lord bless you, O habitation of righteousness, O holy hill. And Judah and all its cities shall dwell there together, and the farmers and those who wander with their flocks. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. At this I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they no longer shall say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquities. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Looking ahead now to the reading of our text, let's sing together from Psalm 21, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. The text for this morning is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And in, in reading this, we have to keep the, the context in mind of the people having been taken out and uh, sent into exile, and the Lord's promise to not just be with them as he, he brought them into judgment, but also to be with them now as He will restore them after He has forgiven them for their sins and bring them back to himself. So it's within that context that we have this promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, the verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." 
And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So far the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are looking ahead to Christmas now. But in looking ahead to Christmas, have you asked yourself the question, why? Why was it necessary for Christ to come into the world? In the book of Hebrews, of course, which some of you may be familiar with, The blood of bulls and goats themselves could never take away sin, and in Christ we find forgiveness for our sins. So there's there's that. But there's more to it than that, too. The people in Jeremiah's day aren't in our day. They're not looking back on Jesus and connecting the dots from the Old Testament to the New like we can. So Jeremiah in our passage today is teaching them to look ahead. Even considering everything that they've done, he teaches them that there's still hope for them and that they can still look ahead. It's pretty amazing to consider that God is reaching out to his people, the people of Judah at this point in time, considering everything that they have done. Because consider the context here. Jeremiah has been shut up in prison. He's faithfully brought God's word to the people of God, but instead of listening to him, they shut him up in the best way that they know how. They lock him away. But does that end God's mercy towards his people? Certainly not. Yes, God chooses to show judgment. God chooses to show His righteousness and His holiness towards His people. But God also chooses to show grace. And that grace is good news for us too, isn't it? Because we ourselves have the tendency to shut people out when there's things that they tell us that we don't want to hear. And we can even get to the point when we're shutting God himself out as he speaks to us through people and through his word. But God shows his mercy in this. That he doesn't quit on his people with whom he's established a covenant relationship. He doesn't quit on them. When he has claimed people as his own, he who began a good work in them will bring it to completion. God's covenant, His relationship in which He promises to be their God and they His people still remains. And even more incredibly, where man failed in the covenant, God promises to establish a new covenant in our passage today. He transforms His covenant 
And this new covenant establishes a basis, a new basis of relationship with God. And so we'll look at this passage today under that theme. Our gracious Lord promises His adulterous people a new covenant. And we'll see, first of all, the need for this new covenant. Secondly, the character of this covenant. And in the third place, the basis of this covenant. So, to begin with, we'll do a quick recap on what a covenant actually is. This language may be a little bit unfamiliar for some of you, even if it is uh, ingrained in, in so many of us here today. A covenant is a promise between two parties, two people or two groups of people. And in this case, the covenant is between God and His people. In the Old Testament, the obligations of this covenant were marked out with parchment and with stone. God had given His people 613 laws in the Old Testament. Not just the Ten Commandments that we often think about when we think about Moses bringing the law to the people, the Ten Commandments on the two tablets of stone, but 613 laws altogether. And His people were called to live in response to His delivering them. He had taken them out of Egypt. He had taken them out of slavery. And now God called him to live in response. God called them to live in response. But what does God tell them here? The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. God sees the need to announce a new covenant. And when God announces something new, that means we need to sit up and take notice. Because it means that something was going on. That there was a problem in the past. Now we need to be clear here. There wasn't a problem with the old covenant because of God. God Himself was faithful. God's never the one that we need to call into question. And we know this. Whenever there is a problem, where's the first place to look? Not outside. Not towards God. Not towards our neighbors. The first place to look is within my own heart. And this rings true for us today too, doesn't it? You and me. We can look at God's people, God's Old Testament people, and there can be the temptation to to put them at a distance and to think, those people, to give our heads a shake. But the fact is that we can look at God's people, and whenever we do look at God's people in the Old Testament, we should see ourselves right there. How often, Sunday after Sunday, do you not hear God's Word preached? And yet you can say, I'm still a sinner. When it comes to the written law, I've heard what God has said time and time again. And I still have failed to live up to what God calls us to. I can be critical of Israel when I've seen them go astray. 
when what is said to them seems to fall on deaf ears, yet when I look into my own heart and reflect on the word that's preached Sunday after Sunday, how often does it not fall on deaf ears? How often don't I sit and listen and then not put it into practice? How often don't I have it that I I put something into practice for a time, but then it falls by the wayside. I keep on returning to my same old sins. I'm no different. Really. When I look at the Old Testament people of God, I can say, I'm no different, really. See, the problem is not God. And the problem is not the covenant itself. Jeremiah's declaration points out that the problem is the people of God. Verse 32, my covenant which they broke. God was not the problem, the people were the problem. And to drive that point home, he goes on, verse 32, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. To be a husband, in this case, is to fulfill the duties of the husband. It's not just living in a legal relationship with somebody, but it's actually acting upon that, fulfilling the duties of being a husband. This is God comparing himself to a faithful husband who lovingly and tenderly carries out the covenant promises that he made at marriage, and yet his wife is unfaithful. She is an adulteress. God is saying, although I was faithful in every way to the promises that I made to you people, you broke my covenant. Considering that adultery is one of the most damaging things, painful things that a marriage can face, one of the greatest of betrayals, if we consider that and then we hear God saying, your spiritual wandering to me, was like that. That should affect us. Both Israel and Judah are mentioned here. In verse 31, you may have noticed that. Both Israel and Judah are mentioned here. Many people from Judah, they've just been taken into exile. Jeremiah 29 bears witness to that. And yet their their punishment was not as all-encompassing as Israel's punishment had been. Israel had not just been taken out of the land and scattered among the people, but other people had been moved into their land. Other nations had been moved into their land and had been placed there and dwelled there. Yet, Even so, this verse is a warning to Judah that just because they're not feeling the consequences of their sin to the same extent yet, that doesn't mean that they are any more worthy or that they are any more obedient than their sister nation that got carried into exile for their sins. They're just as adulterous, he says. They are just as guilty. They did that to God. And when we hear that, it cuts us to the heart. Because we hear that just because they're not feeling the same consequences doesn't mean that they're any less guilty. And we look at our own shortcomings. 
We are no different in many ways when it comes to our sins. We are faithless. Sunday after Sunday, we hear God's word proclaimed. So when we hear God speaking in this way, it convicts us. But here's the beautiful thing as well. When we hear God speak of a new covenant, of a different covenant, this gives us opportunity to sit up and take notice as well. What will God do? From a human perspective, we ourselves would be tempted to give up after a while, wouldn't we? But instead, we see God coming with His promises. God promising a covenant that has a completely different character to the old one. And this brings us to the second point. So as we sit up and we take notice of this this new covenant, we ask ourselves, what does this new way of dealing with His people look like? Well, let's contrast this with the old covenants for a moment. The old covenant was the law that they had been given at Mount Sinai, those 613 commandments spoken by God through thunder and cloud and darkness, inscribed on tablets of stone, written on parchment and passed down through the generations was a terrifying sight. The author of the book of Hebrews talks about it in this way in chapter 12, verse 18 and following. He says, You have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. He's talking about Mount Sinai here where they received the law. And to blackness and darkness and tempest and to the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that no word would be spoken anymore. That was the old covenant. That was the covenant that was a teaching tool for the people of God. We can read about that in the New Testament, in the letter to the Galatians especially. It talks about how this was a teaching tool for the people of God. And it stressed their own need. It highlighted God's holiness in a terrifying fashion. And it was created to spur the people on to come before Him seeking the mercy that He so freely offered. But the people failed. They forgot their history. They forgot the way that things had unfolded. God's deliverance from slavery and God's promises for the future, they they faded into the mists of time for the people of God. And when it came to Jeremiah's day, they had only recently rediscovered the law of God. Think about that. We know from the first chapter of this book that Jeremiah prophesied under King Josiah Now, you have to understand that they didn't have printers back in the day. Books or scrolls, as they were back in the day, they were rare. They were handwritten on animal skins or parchment that would wear away with time. And eventually there came a time when there were no more scrolls regarding the covenant, regarding God's relationship with His people in the land. Well, there were 
But they had all been put into storage. And no one bothered to go to them and make new copies. Because God's word wasn't that important to them anymore for a time. Well, what had happened was that for a time, God's word had been lost to the people of the land. And it was only rediscovered during temple renovations in the reign of Josiah, under whom Jeremiah preached. You can read more about that in 2 Kings 22. So that's what's fresh on the minds of the people as Jeremiah is prophesying here. And it caused a huge amount of sorrow when the people realized how many laws they were breaking simply because they had forgotten. King Josiah tore his robes as a sign of public grief and shame. How could they have forgotten? He acknowledged that they forgot through deliberate negligence. It was on them, and that was why they were so grieved. It's so easy for mankind to forget if we stop teaching ourselves and our children the wonderful truths of God's Word. If God's Word gets placed into storage, if God's Word gathers dust on the bedside table. But God was going to do something that would ensure that His Word would never be lost to the mists of time. What does God promise? God promises to them a new covenant. A covenant which would not be so easily lost. A covenant which would not be so easily forgotten by a people that so quickly go astray. And how would that be possible? Verses 33 and 34. I'll put my law in their minds and I'll write it in their hearts. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The literal word here is not so much I'll I'll put the law on their minds, but on their insides. It's, It's engraved on your innards, you might say so that you can never have it slip away. If it's just placed on your mind, you can forget it after a time. But if it's engraved on your insides, on your innards, then you're carrying it with you wherever you go. And what you carry within you will be something that God looks at. And then God considers you as forgiven. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. And I will remember their sin no more. At this point, you might be thinking, that seems pretty ideal. A perfect world kind of thing. It seems something that I would want to hold on to. But that does seem like something that is not of this world. Something that we can expect at the second coming of Christ, maybe. When all sin's taken away. And you would be right on both counts. In the first place, it's not something of this world. It's something that God Himself gives us. And in the second place, it is something that we will experience in its fullness at the second coming. But at the same time, it's something that we already begin to experience today. And... How do we know this? 
Well, we know this because it's Christ himself who has said it. It's Christ himself who has said it. And this brings us to our third point, the basis of this covenant. Christ's coming into the world, which we look forward to this coming Christmas, is the basis of this new covenant. Christ has made this new covenant our own through his death on the cross. This is why he was known by Simeon in Luke 2, verse 25, as the consolation of Israel. In this baby, Simeon in the New Testament, he's a man who, he's a man who meets Joseph and Mary as they bring baby Jesus in to the test, uh, into the temple for the dedication. And in this baby, Simeon sees the fulfillment of all of the hopes and dreams of the Jewish people. He sees the fulfillment of this promise of God. And again, in his darkest hour, it's on the basis of this promise that Jesus is speaking and that Jesus is acting, which is why Jesus himself says at the Last Supper, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is the very same new covenant that Jeremiah is speaking of here today. This is the very same new covenant that he's talking about. And remember how we said that what you carry within you will be something that God looks at and then that God forgives you. I will remember their sins. I will remember their iniquities no more. Verse 34. It's due to the Holy Spirit who takes up residence within you now and who joins you by faith to Christ. And through being joined to Christ, you now carry something within you wherever you go. Follow me here. When you are joined by faith to Christ, you now carry something within you wherever you go. That something is the death of Christ. The Apostle Paul speaks about that in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 10. You constantly carry with you the death of Christ wherever you go. God looks at you who have repented, who have been joined to Christ in this new covenant, in this new outpouring of His covenant. And He no longer counts your sin against you. Now contrast that with the way that things were. In the Old Covenant, you had a distinct separation between God and man. By the law, God was teaching man. God highlighted man's sin and need. By the priests that had to go between man and God, offering sacrifices time after time, God highlighted His holiness and the immense gap that was between a holy God and sinful man. On the other side. But with the sacrifice of Christ, with Christ being stretched out on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two by God Himself. That separation, Matthew 27, verse 51, that separation that God had laid there as a teaching tool for His people, 
That curtain that represented everything that separated man from a holy God was now torn in two. And the way into the holy of holies was laid bare, was made clear through Jesus Christ. And last of all, we can't forget the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. In the Old Covenant, the gracious enabling power to obey God was not poured out as fully as it has been since Christ. To this day, Deuteronomy 29 verse 4, to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. What's new about the New Covenant is not that there will be no commandments. We know that from Jesus' declaration, if you love me, you will obey what I command. But what's new about the new covenant is that God's promise has come true. I'll put my law within them. I'll write it in their hearts. Jeremiah 31 verse 33. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Ezekiel 36 verse 27. Poured out in a special way. And we ourselves in our, our confessions, we confess this transforming power of the Spirit in our canons of Dort as well. Not just do we receive the righteousness of Christ and carry around His death within us, which makes us righteous before the eyes of God. But in chapter 3-4, article 11 of the canons of Dort, because we have the Spirit, we as a bride are made to be faithful to our husband. Transformed from day to day. Having engraved this new covenant on our hearts. Having made it so that joined to Christ through faith, we carry within ourselves the death of Christ wherever we go. The Holy Spirit now helps us to know God more fully and more deeply and to know the right way that God has laid out for us. Not a right way by which we are made righteous, but a right way in which we can live in response to the righteousness that He has engraved within us through the mark of of Jesus Christ, in a right way to live in response to a declaration that says, I will forgive your iniquity and remember your sins no more. Beloved, there should be awe at this passage as we come to this passage in Jeremiah. God is so forgiving. He doesn't discard His unfaithful people, but He makes sure that they will love Him even more by working in their hearts. Yes, it invokes a sense of shame in us. As we look at the people, we can see that in many ways they are mirrors for ourselves. Mirrors for our own hearts. We've sinned as well. But there's more to it than just shame. This passage should grow in us a sense of wonder and a sense of commitment, a sense of love for God and awe at His mercy. 
And it's for this reason that we find this passage where it lies in the book of Jeremiah, where we do find it. Chapters 30 to 31 are considered the book of consolation in Jeremiah. They are a section of the prophecy of Jeremiah which is considered the book of consolation. And they show us the depth of the riches of God's continual love for people. Even though He has sent them into exile, the commitment that God has to His covenant relationship to transform it for His people in order to more closely bind His people to Himself. God grants His consolation to Israel even in the midst of the grief of the consequences of their actions. Beloved, God grants His consolation to His people today, even in the midst of the grief of the consequences of their actions. And as we look forward to Christmas Day, let us remember Let's remember God's righteousness and God's anger with sin, yes. And let us repent and turn away from that, from darkness into light. But even more, let us look to the depth of the riches of God's grace for His people, showing mercy and the riches of His love even to a people who are grieving in the midst of the consequences of their own actions. Amen. In response to the proclamation of the word, let's now sing together from Psalm 56. Psalm 56, verse 4.